Welcome to the Fitness Nerdcast. I'm your co-host Ryan Smith with fellow coach Stephanie Holbrook, where we get a chance to geek out on all things fitness and bring it to you. First off, things presented here are our opinions developed with over 40 years of combined experience. We are not medical doctors and any information presented here is purely informational. If you'd be interested in working with us, please email us at fitnessnerdspodcast at gmail.com or hop over to our website and blog at fitnessnerdspodcast.com. While you're online, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fitnessnerdspodcast. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and thanks again for joining into our podcast. Today, I have the super awesome Peter Defty again from Vespa talking about the Optimizing Fat Metabolism program. And um, Peter's really helped me dial in my program. Um, He's done a ton of research about optimizing your fat burning, which most of us want. And uh, Peter just got back from from San Antonio at the, he was at the American College of Nutrition Conference with Jeff Bullock and a few other athletes. Uh, Can you tell us about the exciting news from the ACN conference? Yes, um, Stephanie, and and thanks again for having me back on here. And uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Bullock was giving a talk uh, at the American College of Nutrition Conference, and the American College uh, College of Nutrition is a small uh, association, and it's it's kind of interesting because it it's it's very small and kind of relatively unknown in the dietetics and nutritionist world because um, it doesn't have a lot of subscribers because unlike most of these big associations, it takes in no corporate donors, so it doesn't have a big sponsor. And uh, you're probably aware a lot of these uh, nutritional conferences for certifying RDs and uh, nutritionists, they're sponsored by these big food com- com- companies. And uh, so American College of Nutritionists are not like that. And Jeff, uh, w- w- and it's made up of uh, clinical nutritionists, that means people like you and others who are working with people to get their nutrition dialed in for them and uh, researchers um top-notch researchers um Jeff Bollock is one of the you know one of the superstars in the area of uh ketogenic diets and then the president of the American College of Nutrition is uh Beverly Teeter who's quite well known she was the first uh person to publish on trans fats about 30 years ago uh, about the pro- uh issues with them and there's uh le- um uh, Dr. Proust and several other, you know, people who've done, who have several hundred publications out, um, in the, in various areas of nutrition. So Jeff was there to, um, talk about ketogenic diets and how it applies to, um, athletic performance. And probably a lot of your readers are either aware of or have read, uh, the art and science of low carb performance, which was written by Jeff Bollock and his mentor, Steve Finney. Um, so Jeff was there to talk and in conjunction with Jeff's talk, we had two athletes whom I work with, uh, Zach Bitter, who holds the American hundred mile record, the American 200 kilometer record, the 12 hour world record. And he's current, he's the current USA TF hundred kilometer champion. So, and then Dan Lance, who's an ex uh, special forces guy who, um, 
was medically retired because he was literally, you know, blown up, blown in the air. His Humvee was blown in the air and he was, you know, pushed off ledges and suffered some pretty bad falls. So he's medically retired with a bunch of problems and now he's an elite, um, ultra runner in the North Carolina area. And both of these, uh, gentlemen were part of Jeff's faster study, which was, which is what he was, uh, going to talk about. Oh, that's very cool. And, uh, it's, Zach Bitter is just reading about him is pretty amazing. So that's very cool that they were both part of the study. Yeah, yeah. And the way we did the format of this talk was was so that Jeff could give the science, the hard science to the clinical nutritionists in the audience. But then uh, both Zach and Dan give their, gave their a 10-minute, 15-minute talk on their story, which kind of put the science into real world terms that people could see, feel and understand. And it was, you know, it was, it was quite compelling because after the talk, um, the conversations went on for another 45 minutes to an hour. And then in the, that evening and then the next day, both Zach and Dan were approached by various uh, people who were in the audience and asking more questions. And so the, the feedback was that venue, that, that venue that we provided of hard science with real world results, uh, you know, had, uh, had a great impact on the audience. I'm sure it did. Cause that would have been so, so interesting. I would have loved to, to have been there listening in on that too. Yeah, you should have been there. <laughs> I know. So, so, um, the, so Jeff gave a talk on nutritional ketosis on it, athletic performance, since you were talking about Jeff and Zach. Did he, so what was the, is he working on research about uh, nutritional ketosis and, and athletic performance? Yeah, this is one of Jeff's, um, for lack of better, a more scientific term is his passion is, is the, is as a nutritional ketosis researcher, he, he really has a, a passion for, um, researching it in terms of how it applies to human performance, not just human health. And, um, this, this year he started a program, uh, a study called FASTER, which is, I think it stands for, uh, fat adapted substrate oxidative oxidation in trained endurance runners, something like that as the acronym stands for. And, and basically what FASTER did was it took data on two very well-matched cohorts. Um, I think there were 10 or 12 um, high-carbohydrate conventional elite ultra runners and 10 or 12 um, athletes who are doing what um, – in FASTER, it was strict low-carb, but all these athletes – um, the low carb athletes in, in, in their real world racing are, are doing the OFM program. But, um, for faster, in order to control the variables, they didn't do any strategic carbs. They didn't do the Vespa, but, you know, it's, it's a great step in the right direction. Um, because the results were, were so, were so startling. So, you, so they had a very evenly matched in terms of age, height, weight, all this stuff. Um, you know, there was some variation because like the high carb athletes had more fat, less lean body mass. But in terms of age, performance levels, everything, they're very well matched. So, um, they ran them through a battery of tests and it wasn't, it wasn't like a race to see who was quote unquote better. It was a, it was an evenly matched set of cohorts to see what was going on on a physiological level. Oh, that's super cool. So, did, yeah, yeah. 
did he talk at all about the what's happening inside the body or did he just talk about the the preliminaries of the study well well right now because this is something that's eventually probably going to wind up being five to eight different public publication papers you know they're right now in the early stages of of data analysis so what jeff was doing was talking about the data they have so far which is unpublished data but it's it's you know valid data so we're talking about um respiratory quotients and some of the blood values um and things like that so because just with this small amount of data so far there's some you know game changing results that really kind of ch- are sh- going to change the ga- the the way the game is played because excuse me for being so uh, being at a loss for words here, but basically this is going to rewrite the textbooks on what's possible during using fat. Something that uh, Phil Maffetone has been saying for years, right. I've been saying for years, the athletes who, who get this working for him have been saying, but uh, people say, where's the science, even though the results are there. And, and now we have some results, you know, we're going to have some data being published. that's going to say, yeah, the, what these guys are saying is actually true. That's super exciting. So, yeah. so what are the effects of nutritional ketosis on the athletes in terms of performance and their health? Well, um, there's a number of, of, of markers for health. Um, most people, when they get on this program and it's working for them, they retain more lean body mass, lose a lot of the fat and water weight, uh, improve bone density, all kinds of things. And then, as you know, ketones, when your body's making plenty of ketones, ketones or a much cleaner burning fuel than glucose and can be substituted uh, interchangeably with glu- glucose. And I would, I would even venture to say that if you look at human physiology from an anthropological level, keto- nutritional ketosis really is our default state, the state we should be in most of the time instead of glucose. Because right now, you know, you'll, you'll get the question from a lot of people, is the, the brain needs glucose. You've got to have glucose. You've got to keep eating glucose and and it's it's not that way the body can the brain can use ketones and glucose interchangeably and when you're in ketosis and well fat adapted in a nutritional ketotic state your body actually makes ketones from fat if you're in a starvation ketone uh state then the body is making ketones from muscle from protein so there's a big difference there can you talk a little bit about nutritional ketosis, starvation ketosis, and ketoacidosis? Yeah, yeah. So nutritional ketosis is a well-fed ketogenic state, which means it's by nature very high fat, moderate protein, and very low carbohydrate. And and in this state, your body you burns fuel in the muscles by beta oxidation and ketosis, and your liver is producing ketone bodies and some glucose and, and you'll have rises in, in serum ketone levels while you'll maintain very stable blood sugar. Now starvation ketosis is when you're when you're drawing from your fat s- stores to stay alive, which means you're not in a caloric balance, you're in a caloric deficit and it's such that you start to rob protein to make glucose um, for that little bit that glucose is needed. And um, ketoacidosis is a runaway 
fabrication of ketones by the liver because the liver has the ability to make a lot of ketones. And, and, and interestingly enough, and this is fascinating to me, guess what controls how much ketones are made in the liver? Keto, it's kind of interesting. Actually, ketoacidosis is what occurs in type 1 diabetics. Right, right but and they have a high sugar state. So it's not like it's. it's, it's it, I think you're a little confused here. It's actually what it is is when you go into ketoacidosis, it can be, it can be both high sugar and high ketones because that's what my question, original question was. What's so fascinating to me is what controls it and what modulates your ketone levels is insulin, the same thing that modulates your glucose levels. Oh. So in the absence, so in other words, when you have high blood sugar, it's, it's a big shot of insulin that drives the blood sugar down. And when you have low insulin levels, that's what keeps your ketones in check. In the absence of, of insulin, both your glucose, which too much will kill you, and your ketones, which will kill you, go out of whack. So the level for ketoacidosis is remarkably high. It's, it's hard to get into ketoacidosis. It's a lot easier to go into a toxic glucose load for a type 1 diabetic. That's why you don't hear about so much. Right. Because carbs are around a lot and if a if a type 1 diabetic doesn't get to their insulin in time, they'll go in a diabetic coma and, and die. Um, but ketoacidosis, it's, it's really fascinating that the, that it is actually the, uh, just, a, just enough insulin to signal to the liver to, to keep the, the ketone levels at a certain safe rate, which is a fivefold rate lower than, than ketoacidosis. Yeah. Cause that's, that's really interesting. I yeah, yeah. That. So, so you, yeah. And, and the thing is, what you're thinking is it, it, it's actually possible to be in both ketoacidosis and a toxic glucose load because, because you don't have the insulins trying to control both. Right. And if you don't have it, you're done. That's what I thought ketoacidosis was high sugar and high ketones. So, no. um, it's just ketoacidosis just, technically is just super high like, ketones, but it is possible to get your, uh, to, to, for a type one diabetic to be in both. Right. Very cool. They're going to be, and if they're in both, they're dead. Right, right. That's, that's not a good, that's not a good state. Back to the whole ketone thing. So when you're in ketosis, you got other health markers. There's less glycation, which is when a glucose molecule attaches to a lipoprotein that they're called AGEs for aging, uh, less oxidative stress, less lactate load. There's a, you know, and a lot of these studies are coming out now in the mainstream on ketogenic diets for sedentary people. There's a pretty large body of science being built now about how nutritional ketosis, getting the body back to burning fat is the, the aerobic fuel source, which is like I always tell people, the reason we have a lot of fat on our bodies, that's what we're meant to burn aerobically. Unfortunately, in today's world, we've taken ourselves far afield. Uh, with the modern healthy diet because people don't understand some of these basic things of how all that sugar um, sets things in motion that keeps us from burning fat. So did it, in a study, did it show the glucose burners, did their markers of health look differently than, the, I mean, I know we were talking about the difference. Does a glucose burner have, what's the What's the the numbers like? Glucose looks like you're aging okay. faster. Well, let's. Well, you know what we see observationally um, in ultra endurance is um, 
based on the body of literature out there uh, and what I see in the real world is if you're doing any huge volume of exercise and you're using glucose to fuel it, you're probably doing yourself more long-term harm than good. Now, I'm not dismissing exercise. I think exercise is great, but if, if you're doing a lot of exercise and it's burning sugar, that's a lot of sugar to burn in. And usually what happens before somebody gets something too catastrophic is they'll start to see injuries or they'll start to get very sensitive stomachs and guts. You know, it's either going to start coming out one end or the other and it's miserable and your energy swings are huge. That's kind of the take is because that whole fuel partitioning is so um, so critical, but these are, you know, we're talking about really elite athletes who do well on high carb diets and, and probably are genetically fairly carb tolerant. They probably don't have the same set of genes you do, but right. that doesn't mean it's the same. So one of the key things Jeff talked about right now that's, that's germane to the audience is a respiratory quotient. You know that, you know, if you're burning all carbs, you're at one and if you're burning all fat, you're at 0.7. Okay. There's been a lot of the conventional wisdom, which was based on a couple of landmark studies. One was uh, by Venables in the Netherlands, where they did like 300 different um, athletes. And then by George Brooks at UC Berkeley, who created the whole cost, crossover point concept where your body crosses over from burning fat to carbohydrates. Right. Um, and that, you know, as you know, the conventional wisdom is fats only viable for low and maybe mid-level intensity exercise in a really well-trained a- athlete. Right. Uh, that's, that's what I've heard. Okay, that's what you've heard. And that's based on these these two studies uh, or bodies of literature, the Venable study and then some of the work George Brooks did on the crossover point. Those are really the, the, the main studies that are cited. And what was fascinating about this was the high-carb conventionally, conventionally fueled athletes their respiratory quotient numbers, the amount of fat they could burn per minute fell literally. It overlaid the, the, the data from Venables. You know, you, you, their, their data just matched perfectly with the subjects of the Venable studies, which there, the X factor was 0.67 grams per minute. You had a few outliers that would get approach one gram per minute. Okay. Right. So, so just say that your mean, your average, trained endurance athlete uh, on an average can burn 0.67 grams per minute of, of fat at, at the most. That's that's the conventional wisdom and that is where we get that, you know, at 67, 50, 60 right. percent of VO2 max, you start to cross over. Okay. Right. Now, it was, I just finished the USA Cycling um, certification and that's the exact... That's the exact range of the numbers that they have in in the book and for the test. Okay. Well, here's here's and here so here's why this is going to rewrite the textbooks. The the fat adapted athletes, their average burn was one point five four grams per minute. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Okay. Um and these people have been on a low carb diet. Have they been on the uh, like nutritional ketosis for two years or longer? What's the time frame they've been in? Uh, Most of these guys have been doing it for a year or more, a year to two years. Um, okay. Some of them, some of them, are less than a year. Um, That's good. 
So, um, and like I said, like I said before, it takes, it takes two to three weeks for the fundamental shift to take place and another four to six to eight weeks for the real upregulating of the hormones and enzymes. But then after that, there's the whole tweaking process and just the habit change to really get it down. So, you know, I, I, I really think it takes like, two years to where an athlete just intuitively has it down and six months at the minimum to where you're really seeing it uh, in terms of, you know, a consistent performance gain. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, when you're looking at the, the, from the George Brooks crossover, you know, like you said, about, about 60 to 70% of your VO2 max is where, where you, you know, you reach your peak fat oxidation. That's what's established. And that's when you cross over and you start to burn carbs. Well, now you're looking just in the, um, in this thing that shifted from that number to up to, you know, up to 85, 90% of VO2 max, which is quite significant. So in other words, you're moving your fat. So for for doing a lot of the endurance sports where you're never at peak VO2 in your race, because say you're doing an Ironman triathlon, it's all about maintaining a high level of homeostasis. Right. All of a sudden, your ability to sustainably fuel yourself at a high rate shifts. Yeah, that's pro- that's the feeling you get whenever you feel like you got another engine, right? That's right. Just how you felt today on your bike ride. Right. I felt like someone, I felt like I had a little motor on my bike. I, I felt like all of a sudden someone turned on a switch and I was like ready to go. <laughs> so. Well, and, and that's the thing because glu- glucose is so tightly regulated, you know, that whole one teaspoon concept of what fasting blood sugar is because that's so tightly regulated, your liver, while it can make glucose, it can't, it never is going to make a ton. Whereas it can make a lot of ketones pretty quickly. And so between the glucose and the ketones, it can supply that quick burning fuel pretty well once everything's set in motion. And, and so, you know, the, the data that Jeff was giving in terms of blood responses, in terms of the release of fatty acids and all that, just, um, all this data is, is that, you know, these are the things that are set in motion. Right. So if, uh, um, going back to the, the premise that it's only the, the low carb diet works best for, for mid, mid range and long distances. And you had, um, implied or, or we're, we're talking a little bit about, um, shorter distances. So how can you implement this for, say more of a sprint or a sprint triathlon or, or things shorter, does it, is it still an advantage to do a uh, nutritional ketosis if you're a shorter distance athlete? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And what, 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 because I just started working with um, one of my athletes that I coached this last year in his nutrition and some of his training. He, um, he was a, a ultra distance runner doing conventional and we, we gradually weaned him off that. And, and he's been so impressed by the results that he got his cross country, uh, um, team on board with this. And so we're talking about the girls cross country. We're talking about a 5k type of distance. And so, um, they're a small school in California, but they're, they, they were, they're a D5, they're a D5 school, but, um, what they're um they got moved up to D4 in, in their league 
because they're so competitive. And these were all junior girls, but they were just at the Mount Sac Relays or Mount Sac Cross Country um, Invitational. And um, in the D5, uh, they won they won the the sweepstakes and their whole team. And so, and and the and their lead gal won the thing outright. Oh, awesome! And so, you know, yeah, it does. And, and basically, you're still going to be you're going to you're going to be using more carbs strategically, yes. But you're going to cycle yourself down in your recovery days, where you really try to ratchet down those carbs to reset that fat burning. And then, you know, also with the training, you want to periodize to where you have those long, slow runs, and then you. When you do bump it up, you do a big warm up and, 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 and go hard. I remember, um, there's a real competitive guy out of, uh, Seattle, Uli Steidel, and he's a German guy and he's very methodical, very, he likes to engineer things, but he went and ran with the Africans in Africa a couple of years ago and he wrote about it and he said, he said it was, and you'll understand this, Stephanie, it was kind of, he said it was weird because on, on their warm ups and slow days, they were going like painfully slow for him. You know, he just couldn't believe how slow these guys right. were. And that's and then what I he, tell my, my athletes. You should be going painfully slow for your base building. Right. Like, and, and, and then that's what he said. He said, he said, and then on the, on the warmups, on the fast days, they do these warmups and you'd think, when are these guys going to get going? This is like too slow. And he said, then all of a sudden things started to ratchet down and he was just barely hanging on to these guys. And, and, and that's what Renato Canova's teaching with the Africans and, and, uh, Lydia training. It's all about getting that aerobic base really huge on the physiological and not just, you know, working on the training for the running and the speed, whether it's running or cycling or swimming or martial arts or, or anything, you know, you want to get that physiology to where you're burning fat because say you're doing something like, um, figure skating or hockey or basketball where you're going to have you need the aerobics, but you also need the, the, the anaerobic bursts, right? Right. And then you, and then you combine that with the sharp motor skills you require to do those things. Well, this is where the, the, by, by moving that spectrum of aerobics higher, so you're not draining, bleeding off your glucose so fast, you can not only maintain the glucose needs for that quick movement, but also the stable glucose so your motor skills don't fall off because this is one of the things we talk about. The first thing an athlete that happens to an athlete before they even sense that they're tired is their fine motor skills um, right. fall off. So, so if, you're, if you're motoring along on Kona in a, on your bike or running on an ultra marathon, you're going to lose some fine motor skills, but you're probably not going to notice as much. But if you're a basketball player or a hockey player or an ice skater, You'll notice that right away, but you don't, you don't know you're tired. Right. Cause you're, I mean, you can look at people's pictures. Like I have pictures from, um, marathon races that in the beginning, my form is perfect. And then close to the finish line, like my form looks horrible. I have my Ironman picture when I cross the finish line looks horrible because of like my leg is flying out and. It's like, oh, yep. that's bad form. Nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing. So those, those that blood sugar stability um, is critical across the boards when we're talking about performance because as everybody who's competitive knows, once you get to a certain level, then it's that fine edge, those incremental advances that are going to make the determine what you win or lose. So how does this apply to our listeners? You know, how can they implement the this program and make it practical for them. 
Well, first off, I, I hope that we've done a, a decent job of showing that the, there is some science behind it. But, but I think the take home is, um, and this is what Jeff Bollock actually said like twice in this talk was he said, you guys are ahead of the science. And that's kind of what's going on is, is we're getting the results. We're using science as a guide because I look at peer reviewed literature. I've, I've developed a really good relationship with Jeff and Steve and, uh, Bev, all these top notch researchers, um, to kind of be able to glean from the science, but also to give them feedback about what we're seeing because, um, you know, people don't understand your, 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 that the science, when people wave these pubs out, it, you know, a good pub takes years to come to publication because it has to go through peer review. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you don't know, like most of the stuff you see in the, in the sports nutrition thing, they get published, but they get published quickly in low tier journals and not the, the high tier journals that take years of, you know, a lot of vetting and, and clear science. So it's, it's kind of confusing there. And then, um, on the flip side of that, so it takes, so when these papers finally come out, something's already been set in motion. And then the other, on the flip side, um, what a lot of your readers don't know because they're looking at these scientific papers is science begins with observational evidence. Right. Then you develop a hypotenuse, hypotenuse, hypothesis. Yeah, <laughs> so a hypothesis. And, um, I think that that's important to remember too. When you go to a doctor who went to medical school 10 years ago and they're using data that's 20 years old. So they're 30 years behind the curve unless you're looking, unless you have a, there's many doctors out there who keep up with the latest literature, but a lot of them are really busy. So they're not, their information is not necessarily always up to date. So it's, it's imperative as a consumer to look out for your body to to make sure you are looking up the latest and greatest information. I mean, yeah, and that's that. That's that. I can't stress that enough because I, I I look at a lot of blood panels because I have a, a a number of athletes who see their cholesterol total values go up, but their triglycerides are low. Their ratios are super. Their LDL um, small particle size is low, and their HDLs are up. So, um, but the but the latest research is saying that's all fine, but. If you try to tell that to a medical, uh, in, for insurance or something, they're just looking at that total number. Or if you're, um, talking to many cardiologists right now, they're just going off of what the farmer rep says and it's total number and they want to put you on a statin because that's the standard of care. And unfortunately, they're not aware of this. And even if they are aware, there's so much, um, emphasis from the legal standpoint to to follow the prac the standard of care, which is say if it's over two hundred, you put a person on a statin because because that's the standard of care. And if you go with the standard of care, you're you're less likely to get sued for malpractice. Right. Even if the person has a heart attack, um, I just read today that three quarters of the people who enter the hospital for heart problems, like a, a heart event, have normal to low cholesterol. So if you, for listeners out there, think that a low um, normal to low cholesterol is going to save them from a heart attack. They're, they're probably mistaken by 75%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is um, the epidemiological studies have, have been, you know, in terms of the numbers, um, there's been some pretty clear data emerging that if you live past 60 or 65, I can't remember the age, but, and you have 
genetically high cholesterol, you, you live 15 years longer than the average population with less chronic disease. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, so, but it's, I think it's all about having the right cholesterol numbers because, right. you know, things like, because cholesterol is, you know, an essential element of every cell in your body and all your hormones and your brain. So, um, but anyway, the take home is I, I hope we've, we've given enough science and, and we certainly can come back and do another podcast as more of the, uh, faster study data emerges because they did, they did muscle biopsies. Um, they did a bunch of cell membrane compositional um, data collection and all this stuff is in the midst of being processed now. And, and they finished the data in June and then uh, Jeff basically left uh, the University of Connecticut for Ohio State and took, but he took all the people who are working with Faster with him. So they had to change labs. They're building a new lab in the midst of trying to get all this data. So it's, it's, all this information is going to come out on faster is going to be kind of trickling out over the next uh, year. And, uh, but, but the, the take home point is right now that the science is starting to emerge that, that, that there's some definite advantages, particularly for endurance athletes um, as performance. And then when you couple that with the uh, observational evidence that the uh, Vespa OFM athletes are getting, I mean, just today or, was it? Yeah, just yesterday, Larissa Danish ran a sub six six hour, uh, fifty miler. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you know, it's like that's the first time a woman's done ran under six hours in twenty years. Wow, that's awesome. So going back to the faster study, you had mentioned earlier that they they didn't use Vespa in part of their study or weren't necessarily following the OFM program because they wanted the study to be not tainted by supplements. How does the faster pro research relate to the OFM and um, and Vespa? Well, how it relates, it's kind of interesting. You know, as you know, the foundation of our OFM pyramid is that fat adapted state, and that's what faster really validates is is to get that. So there's some big advantages in terms of your capacity to burn fat. Now, here's the take home: virtually all of the Low carb cohort were people that I worked either directly with or they worked with me through a coach that I work with. Okay. So, and so several, several of these people are people I turned on to it, like John Rutherford, Zach Bitter, Ben Greenfield, uh, Mike Pete. A lot of the people who were participating in this study are people I work with. Um, many of these people were telling Jeff and the people there, Hey, you know, this is all good, but there's more there. And that's, that's where the Vespa OFM come in. And I know I work very closely with Zach Bitter and he's, uh, he's a, he, he, like I likes to play with things. He's curious. He's open to experimentation. So this last, last two summers, we've done some blocks of training where he was strictly keto. Okay. Oh, cool. And, Okay. So, yeah. and, and he said, he, he said it was, it was a minute, minute 15 a mile disadvantage. Oh, strictly keto did not, it was a, was hurt him. Like it was slower by yeah, a minute and a half. That's quite significant. Yeah. It's a minute, it's a minute to a minute 15. Um, 45 seconds to a minute 15 is usually the range of, of, of just that he's not able to hit certain numbers. Um, and, um, so that's, that's, that's the significance. So they were, they were encouraging Jeff, we need to go 
we need to look at this further if you're talking about human performance, because if you look at the literature, you know, I'm all for nutritional ketosis because of the health benefits and as a foundation for performance. Right. Okay. But if you look at all the literature and all the observational evidence I've had, you know, working firsthand with these athletes, you, you know, well formulated keto, nutritional ketosis diet will get you 70, 80, maybe 85% of the way there. And that you can do that 80, 85% all day long, but you're just not going to have that last 20, 15% to surge, to push, to have that breakout performance that's going to win races at an elite level. Right, and that's pretty significant. 15% is pretty significant. Yeah, yeah, and that's why you see here people, you know, when you talk about at the elite level, people say, no, you can't do so much because I I have yet to see where, you know, unless you're running just long, slow distance all the time or cycling long, slow distance, you know, you're just, you're going to be missing that, that, extra pushing the power. That, yeah, that glycolytic pathways allow you to take advantage of. Now, now that being said, wait a second, I got to back up here. There is another way using ketones, but it's not through nutritional ketosis. It's it's just like taking in carbs. It's taking in exogenous ketones. So ketone esters? Ketone esters and ketone salts. And that's that's a whole black ops thing that we don't need to confuse your listeners with but i just wanted to clarify that yeah there is a way because when you when you're when you're adding exogenous ketones it's just like adding exogenous glucose it all of a sudden gives you that quick burning fuel in large amounts that your body can respond to and just the, the funny thing is with nutritional ketosis like as you're seeing when you get it right you're you're virtually bonk proof right right oh yeah right right when you get that right as long as you're hydrated and you got your Vespa, you can go all day. Okay. The, the funny thing about the exogenous ketones, the ketone esters and ketone salts, if you're not fat adapted and you're using them, when you run out of ketones, it's just like running out of glucose. You oh, bonk. Good bonk. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, so anyway, that's kind of, so that's where the significance of it is, is, is this study is, is really going to validate how important that fat adapted uh, base is. And I, I think it's actually going to validate because of what we're talking about now that you can only get so far on nutritional ketosis in terms of overall performance. It's going to validate the rest of it where, where Vespa comes in, where the strategic carbs come in, where, you know, proper training and lifestyle so you don't run into overtraining, adrenal fatigue, all those things come into play. I have a question, Peter, about did Vespa, when it initially started, when you started the supplement, research on on the the wasps and everything did you initially know that it worked well with a a fat adapted diet or a ketogenic nutritional ketosis or did you find that out later that that actually happened when i came on board um because vespa has been around for about mm, 14 15 years now uh and the the initial work on the wasp was done earlier than that and that was the problem with the product not taking off and it's still, still, you know, a little bit out there, but we're gaining ground now at a pretty good rate. Um, what happened was we, we'd have these wonderful performances where people were winning Olympic gold marathons, setting world records in the marathon. Um, you know, Canadian hockey team was winning the gold medal at the Olympics. Alexi Yagudin had 
the best season of his career, the most consistent winning season when he won the, the gold medal for men's figure skating at Salt Lake City, won the world championship with perfect scores. I mean, he won every single event he entered in that year. And it just, it, it never took off because it was hit and miss with people. And when I came on, um, this was something I was following and it immediately became clear to me that some people it worked well with, some people worked, some people it didn't work at all, or at least that's what they said. And then some people said it made them sick. And that's when I started to delve into this. And we found that with some carbohydrate restriction, the Vespa had a much stronger effect. And then, you know, we kept playing with that. And then we found that once somebody was adapted and using Vespa, if you brought the carbs back in, the carbs would all of a sudden work. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we've developed over the last six, seven years is this OFM. That's why we developed the OFM program was to get that consistency because it was so hit and miss. And because there's such a cognitive dissonance to the whole fat thing, because everybody's so scared of fat, it never caught on. You know, I was thinking about this today, you know, like, like Mark Allen and Phil Maffetone were preaching this back in the nineties, you know, in the, with the Iron Man and, you know, Mark Allen dominated and yet, it only got a very small following. Right. Well, and I think it takes the problem or not necessarily a problem the the part, the big pieces you have, you have to develop the base of it or else yep. it's not going to work. So it's right. Gonna... And, and, and then, and then the other thing that's been kind of scant and buried was the science. Cause the science wasn't there. Cause all the science was being focused towards how to get more carbs into your into yourself so you could fuel yourself more with carbs because everybody's worrying about the, the glycogen running out. And so, um, except for Steve Finney's study in the early eighties, there was very little done on fat adaptation for athletes until recently. And so now that you're seeing the science come out and people, people always want to say, where's the science? And, and even, but you know, with this fat thing, when you show them the science, they still don't want to believe it. Well, yeah. And you know, I think, I think we're coming to that confluence of, having enough science, having an, enough consistent observational results and building on it. And, and, and thank, thankfully, we have the internet so that that knowledge isn't buried anymore. It's out there. I mean, that's why you're seeing, that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why, you know, the paleo CrossFit movement has legs under it. That's why the low carb movement has legs under it because, you know, it can't be buried in a box anymore and, and selectively uh, made known by the media. Right. And I think a lot of it, people are sick. You know, people are not yep. not healthy and not well, and they've been following conventional wisdom and they're not getting better. So, Right, right. And that's exactly it. And, it's, and it comes right back, you know, right now at this point in our conversation here, it comes right back to where, where we were in the beginning. It's like we got to get people back to burning fat as their fuel and not forcing them through starving them, but so their bodies want to burn fat. And you, you do that by restricting the carbohydrates. And um, we're coming up on time. So I don't yep. want to take all your time, but um, where can your list, where can the listeners get in, more information about the, the program? I know the Vespa website has a wealth of information. I think, um, yeah, the Vespa site's one great place to go. Um, if you want personalized service, uh, Stephanie, you should be contacted to, because, you know, not only do you have the, uh, education and background and you get it about OFM Vespa, you have the personal experience of, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And you understand that on a, on a level that 
that you can't learn and you can't learn in a classroom because, you know, you did the whole thing where you had adrenal fatigue, you had too much protein and now you're, you've got that thing dialed in. So I think, you know, for your clients who want to get individualized help, they should be contacting you. And then, um, there's a, there's a wealth of good sites out there, but there's also some other sites that, that's got some, uh, information that, could get somebody on the wrong track, but one of the sites, uh, I would refer him to is Zach, Zach Bitter. Do a look up on Zach Bitter's blog and go through his, his stuff. Cause he's posted a lot of stuff on this in his journey. And it's, he's got a good writing style and a very good attitude. So you can kind of see how his process went. Plus he's a world record holder. <laughs> so it's like, right, right. And this is a guy who has a day job. I've read his blog and it's great information. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he, he started out using the Vespa and getting results, but he was on a high carb diet and he just, he just contacted me to learn more. And I said, well, if you want to do better, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do this, this and this and get the carbs out. And he, he tried it and it's in, and since then he's been able to, that's the thing is in terms of the health and performance, he actually doesn't even, he not only performs better, but he's more robust and healthier. He doesn't have the breakdown, which he did notice was happening with the high carb diet. Yeah, I definitely noticed my recovery is a lot faster and everybody in my house got sick with the cold and I did not get one inkling of it. Get the sniffles or I was pretty happy about that and they are not low carb, <laughs> so... They do the Vespa. My husband likes the Vespa, but he hasn't bought into the whole low carb thing yet. Yeah, well, we'll get him. He'll we'll get them there because he he can't help it. So <laughs> yeah, if if you want to anything else we need to talk about with regarding the science, any? No, I think you covered a lot, and I think it's a lot to take in and think about, especially you know the latest studies, which I'll put a link in the show notes about the latest studies, you know, the studies you're talking about and, and information about Jeff Bullock and the link to Zach Bitter's website and, or his blog. His website is separate from his blog, so um, which is, is pretty cool that you can, you know, check out both, both areas. And uh, what do you see on the horizon? Do you feel like that this program's finally, you know, got the, the momentum behind it? Uh I, I've been doing this for a long time and I keep thinking it's going to turn. So I'm, I'm a little gun shy at this point. So I know it'll, it'll go at some point, but it's, it's, it's really kind of like one, one athlete at a time. And, uh, you know, the more people we have out there having success like you, the more people we're getting. But, but like we talked about earlier, you know, we've had 40 years of, of fat phobia, literally people being terrified of fat that's going to kill them. You know, this is, this is like, like the, uh, Uber, you know, everybody's worried about ISIS and Ebola r right now in the moment, but they've been scared to death, literally a fat for 40 years. Well, I think if anybody following the low carb, uh, or endurance sports and Nikki Kimball is, she's a phenomenal athlete and she follows the OFM program and Zach Bitter, who's won world records. I mean, those are very good spokespersons for the program. I mean, they're pretty, they're well-known names. So hopefully that group and then definitely the CrossFit community has really changed the way people view fat. You know, they're definitely a lot less uh, fat phobic in that group. And maybe on both ends, the high intensity short, um, short workouts like CrossFit and then the long super ultra you know, in distance, we'll finally meet in the middle to, to bring about a big change. Cool. And anybody out there who would like uh, more information or has a question for Peter or wants us to 
to cover a specific topic, we would be more than happy to talk about it. Peter and I were talking before we started the podcast how how important it is to really, not only for athletes to increase their performance, because athletes, that's what they want to do. You know, they always want to be faster, better, recover faster. But, you know, everyday folks like your grandma, you know, you want her brain to function better and her to still have a better quality of life. Or, you know, this program doesn't only work for athletes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Stephanie, I almost forgot, um, since probably a lot of your listeners are in the uh, greater Phoenix area, is that uh, correct? Um, I do want, if you look at my, uh, my listener profile, it's actually people from everywhere. I, I have people Wonder- from New Zealand and um, small country in Africa, like they're all over the place. Okay, well, for the people that are in Phoenix, um, I'll be giving a talk at five o'clock. Uh, I, I can't remember where it is, but if you go to the Havilene 100 uh, website, oh, that's cool. uh, going on uh, this coming weekend, and we're a sponsor there, so I'll be giving a talk, and we're going to have a, a special investment there for for anybody who wants to buy and try, and I'll be there to answer questions. Are you going to be at the Havilene 100 race? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, it's at McDowell Mountain Park. I'll be there. I can answer questions, and so people can come out to the race, but I'll be there on Friday. I'll be at the the pickup, which is at a hotel near there, uh, giving a talk at 5 p.m. and and be there afterwards to answer questions. And uh, I'll have Dan Lentz, who's one of the athletes that spoke at Jeff's talk, and Bruce LaBelle, who's a legendary ultra runner there. And and so we'll have three or four people there who can actually help would answer questions and, and certainly you're you're more than welcome and i hope you can make it out but, oh i definitely am coming and then i'll even bring my recorder so if we have well thank you very much stephanie you're welcome thank you so much peter it was great talking to you as always and um thank you for all the work